What's up, people? It is October. No, no, it's not. It's November third, actually. <laughs> and we are back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. It is Rafael Garcia, along with Shawan Hughes, once again. And yeah, it is nine thirty. No, it's nine thirty-three over on the East Coast. But I'm on the West Coast today, out here in Vegas, about to have a great weekend. But we still want to make sure we bring you another edition of our show because we don't want to be missing you guys week to week. So I'm back again with Shawan to talk about the world of mixed martial arts. How are you doing there, sir? Oh, I'm doing great, man. Just ready to try to talk about the show we love. Awesome, awesome. So I don't have a microphone today, so I hope you guys can hear me all right. But, you know, we're going to make it work. So first things first, you know, let's talk about what we have going on this weekend. It's been a quiet few weeks in the world of mixed martial arts. We haven't had a lot of events, which has been kind of cool. You know, it's been it's been good to be able to take a step back and not have to watch so much MMA because it can be very um, overwhelming. However, that has changed and we're back ramped all the way up this weekend. And the show starts tomorrow with Bellator 163, where Liam McGarry defends his title against Bill Davis. Now, I'm interested in seeing how many people watch this event for a lot of reasons. Obviously, you know, it's Bellator and there's a stigma of it being quote unquote lesser MMA. And there aren't that many big names on this card. You know, you have McGarry, you have Saeed Awad, you have Brendan Ward, Marlos Conan. Paul Daly, Sergey um, Caratano, that's probably rounds out the biggest names on this card. I know Kimbo Slice's son was supposed to debut on this event, but he's not. However, Ed Ruth will, and that's another um, conversation point that we'll get onto later on in the conversation. But let's start with that main event there, uh, Schwan. Um, we're not going to cover a whole lot when it comes to this event here, but I'm certainly interested in this main event in versus Davis. What are your thoughts in pitting these two against each other? Uh, my first thought initially is a general one about Bellator in general. This is actually a good matchup, not just because of the talent Bellator They don't have enough people who are talented to make interesting fights. This is one of the few occasions where you have guys who are on an upswing. You know, they're not, they haven't gotten necessarily cut from an organization. They've put some wins together and they're young enough where they're on the way up instead of kind of plateauing out or being on the way down. That That's what separates this matchup from most of them. It's guys you know, and it's guys who've had extended success in this sport. Um, my specific thoughts about this is it's very interesting because it's probably two of the better grapplers in the light heavyweight division, two guys who are known for using submissions, positioning, reversals, and escapes to create opportunities to finish opponents. And they do it on opposite ends of the spectrum. McGeary is a guy who works from the guard, uh, uses a lot of inverted triangles, sweeps, and attacks from the bottom. And Phil Davis is the guy who gets those takedowns and usually works from the top, you know, scrambling, creating transitional submissions, riding an opponent out, then getting in control of a limb and finishing. So it's very interesting because you have two guys who are doing who, who both emphasize the ground game, but two guys who emphasize the ground game 
from two, two different perspectives. One from the bottom, one from the top. One is a pure grappler, one is a wrestler who's got exceptional grappling ability. So in breaking it down that way, you know, what are your what are your thoughts on how this fight is gonna go? You know, because you you are totally right. These are two guys who are great grapplers within the division, especially, you know, you have Davis with that strong wrestling background and McGeary, I think he's a brown belt under Kenzo Gracie. I believe. I don't think he's got his, his black belt yet. But you know, he definitely is up there in New York City training with the likes of Gordon Ryan, um, Gary Hoonan, and everybody else, John Denner, and that whole Um So when you look at this matchup, you know, what do you think is going to happen? I, I foresee a lot of it um, taking place on the ground, you know, because I expect Davis to go through takedowns, um, obviously with that Penn State background. But McGarry has a very dangerous guard, and he can't be – and Davis cannot feel safe or cannot expect to be able to hold a position over McGarry just because he's on his back. So break that down for me and tell me how do you see this fight going on when it does hit, hit, hit the ground? Well, I, I think initially it'll probably be on the feet a little bit longer than you think. Um, I actually had worked as, an, uh, as a consultant or as a, for a guy who uh, fought Phil Davis fairly recently. And a lot of what Phil Davis does, at least on the feet, is he likes to work on the outside. He likes to kind of pick away with those long-range kicks and those those individual pot shot pot shot strikes. He likes to work at the perimeter and kind of chip away at you. And then usually when he goes for those takedowns, he uses those and he uses those strikes as opportunities to transition in to get a hold of you and to kind of work you over, tie you up, then drag you in the ground. And then he starts working positions where he does. Unlike most wrestlers, he doesn't just post up in a guard or try to stay on top. He's trying to get to your back. He's trying to turn you over. He's trying to ride you out. He's searching for submission. He's searching for positions he can put you in where he can put more punishment on you or he can um, get that submission. And that's the thing that I think makes him dangerous for McGarry because McGarry's a guy who's used to opponents basically trying to get on top and smash him. Phil Davis isn't that type of fighter in regards to his temperament. He's not that sort of fighter in regards to his physical skills he's uh well he's got great balance timing agility body control but he's not really a a super physical fighter who breaks guys down with his pressure and, his, and the abuse he puts on him he's a guy who uses his body control his timing his reflexes his mobility to create scrambles to get control to reverse positions and then to fit look to finish guys he'll finish him from the top he'll finish from the bottom whatever position he can get a submission from, he will work on, he will work it from. But Gary's just, McGeary's just the guys posting up, trying to put punishment on and trying to control and trying to keep him in a certain position, keep him flat on his back. So then they basically set up shop and they make it easy for him to search for those submissions because they're not transitioning. They're not trying to create scam scrambles. They're not trying to pass his guard. They're not trying to get a superior position. They figure I'm on top. I can control him and defend submissions from this point till the rest of the fight. And I'll just win the fight by being on top and being active. That doesn't really work with Phil Davis because Phil Davis has never been a guy who's just been a dominating control, ground and pound, punishing sort of guy. He's always looking to unbalance his opponent. He's always looking for that submission. He's always looking for a better position where he's not in danger. He's a safety first kind of fighter. He's not going to try and dominate you and beat you up. He's going to try a position where he can put you in danger and he can keep himself out of 
any sort of risk of submission or any strikes from the bottom or getting swept and having a guy get on top of him and punishing him with strikes. That's always been the kind of fighter he is. So I expect this fight to have a lot of transitions, a lot of times where McGarry's trying to regain his guard because McGarry's not a, a good and easy guy to control. But if he tries to sweep Davis, Davis will roll with it and try to improve his position. If he tries to just straight up um, push Davis back off, Davis will clear the legs and go to side control. Davis is a guy who can match positions and match pace and match agility with McGarry, and most guys can't do that. That's why they seek to just control him and beat him up. Against Davis, he'll be facing a guy who can match him in those transitional opportunities. Ability to um, work out of submissions and defend submissions and threaten him with submissions. McGeary hasn't fought a guy who's really a threat with submissions from any position. This will be the first guy he's fought who's got comparable skills or abil abilities as, as it pertains to the ground game. So what are the chances of this fight occurring majority on the feet? Like, um, and if that happens, what, how do you see that going? Because, you know, oftentimes we get these fights where it's two very um, technical grapplers facing off against each other, and it takes a little while to get down to the ground, as you just mentioned. That's this fight may be on the feet for longer than we expect. So if that does occur, how do you see that happening? The thing is, I don't, the thing is usually Phil Davis isn't, is he's good at takedowns, but he, he telegraphs them a bit because he works on the outside because he doesn't like to get in close where guys can counter him, either get to his body or land those short elbows or uppercuts on him. He, he doesn't like that. A lot of his is I'll work the perimeter. I'll use my front kick to the body. I'll throw a high kick. I'll throw a low kick. I'll stick out a jab. I'll throw a one-two. And I'm just going to pick away from you and pick away at you until you throw a bit, until you throw a big counter or you try to shoot and then I'm going to create a scramble and get on, get you down and get on top or he'll throw some he'll throw, he'll try a takedown the only time he'll really try to take down is if you corner him to the cage he'll try to shoot or clinch on you so that he can spin and turn you into the cage and then he can get a takedown he's not a dynamic type takedown guy he's not a guy who takes people down whenever he wants so if McGeary really wanted to fight to stay up and use his range and use his power he probably could the thing about McGeary is McGeary's so confident in his ground game that he'll let guys take him down. He'll let guys slam him, he'll let guys single leg him, he'll let guys double leg him because he fully expects that once on the ground, he's gonna be able to submit anybody he faces. And so far he's been able to. Guys have reversed him, guys have defended his submissions, but unlike most guys who just hang on to a submission and they don't have the confidence in their game to release it and work from another position, McGeary has that confidence. He'll chain submissions together. He'll go from arm bar, to try and go back to armbar. He'll try to get you, and he'll try to go for a sweep. He'll let you get on top and go for the guillotine. And if you escape from, escape from that, put you in full guard and then start working for the armbar again. He's, he's always working on a series of submissions. And so he's not gonna, I don't think he'll really defend the takedown that much. He's always let everybody take him down. Everybody who's gone for a takedown, he's willing to, willingly let them take, get him down because he's confident that he can finish. And I think that overconfidence might be, the, might be the decisive factor in the fight because Davis is a guy, I feel, who has athleticism in the wrestling chops where he can fight for position. He can win scrambles. He can keep up in transition. So there's a good chance it doesn't really stay on the fight, on the feet too long. If it, in fact, does stay on the feet, McGarry's got the power. He's got the aggression. I think, he, I think he's physically more durable and he's more comfortable getting, to, getting into exchanges and being into being in a tough punishing fight 
Phil Davis is a guy who I won't say he's scared to get hit, but he's very hesitant to be in any position where he's going to get into an exchange and he might get countered. He stays out of range for a reason because defensively he's a little bit suspect. So he uses his length, he uses his timing to keep him out of danger because he doesn't have the technical upper body movement, the head movement, the parries, the hand positioning, or the footwork to keep him from getting struck when you're in a boxing range. So he uses an extended range and he chips away at you, hoping that either you'll try to counter it where he'll, you'll give him his hips and he'll get a takedown or he'll be able to score something big and then follow through with a takedown and get control and start working for a submission. He's just not that dynamic of a takedown guy. So if it is on the feet, Phil Davis is going to work to the outside. He's going to chip away. He's going to pot shot. He's going to try to get a clear entry in on McGarry to get him down. I don't believe McGarry is going to try to defend the takedown tremendously. He might try to get a submission as the takedown's occurring or try to hit a sweep as the takedown's occurring. But his main thing is, as soon as I hit my mat, my back hits a mat, I'm going to start attacking. I'm going to put you on the defensive and I'm going to wear you out by chaining together submissions and being offensive from my back and see if you can, if you can maintain the pace and see if your discipline and your technique is able to stand up under a guy who's totally comfortable being in this position. He's not going to make you work of defending the takedown. He's going to make you work from the point of controlling him, controlling positions, and defending submissions when he's on his back and when he's in transition. All right there, my friend, I'm going to put you on the spot then. Who do you have coming out as a Bellator Light Heavyweight Champion after tomorrow's main event? Uh, that's a tough pick. I, I, I'm not the greatest. I'm not the greatest Phil Davis fan because I'm 0 one against him as a, as a person assistant coaching. But um, I really, I really think this is Dave, I really think this is Davis's fight to lose. I, I think he'll get, be able to get the takedowns whenever he wants them, and it's just a matter of how disciplined can he be on the ground with McGarry. I, I think if it comes down to a matter of fighting for position and constantly transitioning, I think he can match McGarry. Most of the guys. Most of the guys McGarry's face aren't comfortable fighting off their back. They don't know what it's like to have a guy on top of them defending submissions and defending strikes. A lot of what they do is they're bullies. They take guys down, they rough them up, they control them, they beat them up, they, and, all, and things of that nature. Um, Davis isn't that type of guy. He's a very smart fighter. He's a very self-aware fighter. And he's a guy who knows how to execute a game plan against a guy who's a better striker and a better wrestler. I would say that Davis would have a lot of problems, but if we're just going to make this an MMA version of a grappling match, I'm probably going to favor Davis. I, I really like McGarry, and I, I could see him winning, but I just have to go with what I've seen of Davis. Davis has faced a better opposition, and this seems to be the kind of fight that's right up Davis's alley. He's got a guy who's not going to be afraid to go to ground with him and who's going to let him get the takedown and let him dictate where the fight takes place at. And as aggressive as McGeary is on the feet, if the fight stays on the feet, that aggression opens you up for takedowns. The only reason he's that aggressive on the feet is because he's that confident of his skills on the ground, which in my mind means that he's going to be giving up takedowns anyways. And against a guy who's a little bit more limited or scared to get in extended grappling exchanges, that's fine. But against a guy like Phil Davis, who that's the kind of fight he's looking for, those are the kind of opportunities, opportunities that he wants. I think it's a recipe for disaster. So I'm picking Davis to win the fight. I'd rather, I'd probably like to see McGarry win it, but I'm gonna go with Davis. I think Davis has made some improvements in his game 
And I think this is the kind of fight that plays to every strength he has and plays to the kind of character and personality he has and pertains to the type of fights he likes to be in. Awesome breakdown, man. Awesome breakdown. I'm not going to um, disagree with you there. I definitely think that this is Davis's fight to win as well. And um, but you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to fully doubt uh, Liam in this battle. You know, he kind of um, he's impressed me recently. So uh, let's see let's see what happens in this main event there, though. But also let's let's look at um, a couple other fights. You know, Saeed uh, Awad. And Brandon Ward, that's the co main event here. Um, you know, Watt's probably biggest win was over Will Brooks a couple years back, but even though Brooks got that rematch back, and, and you have Ward, who's definitely a heavy hitter in the middleweight division, I believe it's middleweight, um, but he is certainly a heavy, heavy hitter. I've seen him lay some guys out. What are your thoughts on this co main event here? Uh, my whole problem, I think Ward's a good fighter, he's tough, he's athletic, he hits hard. He, he has some he has some decent wrestling. My problem with him is he's always so hit or miss. Like when he wins, you see him and he's on, he's just dynamic. He shows he shows power, he shows agility, he shows explosiveness, he shows physicality, he shows good wrestling and submission. But when he's off, it's almost like he doesn't even belong fighting. He's just so hit or miss. I haven't seen that consistency from him. And the guy who's got his level, who's got some athleticism and who's got at least a base enough level of skill in all areas of MMA, he shouldn't. He shouldn't. He shouldn't have such inconsistent performances. That's my main concern. Um, but the same can be said for Wad. I mean, he's a guy who has basically all the physical tools, but he hasn't been able to consistently put it together enough to the point where he's been able to be a consistent contender in Bellator or, or become so appealing that that organizations outside of Bellator have have looked for his services or made him a a priority as a free agent. So it's really a matter of who's going to be on. And I think whoever is the guy who who scores first, who who does damage first, is has a better than average chance of winning the fight. Because both guys have been known to, when they get off first, they're very dynamic, they're dominating. But when the opponent gets off first and puts them in trouble, uh, neither guy is, has, history has shown that neither guy is really good at coming back from those positions when they're hurt and put in bad spots. Yeah, I'm going to totally agree with you there. You know, um, Wild kind of impressed me back when he defeated Brooks. I thought he was going to defeat Brooks that second time again, but he was never able to get the job done. He's kind of just been like, like as you said, hit or miss. Um, just not someone who I, ex I expect to go very far. Now, I see him being someone who's in Bellator for the duration. And you're right. That's someone that um, isn't going to be very attractive outside of this promotion. But and, and the side thing is Ward. Ward's been a guy they've been wanting to get behind. They've been trying to push Ward, but every time they get to the point where they can really put him in a position to be a title contender or a name, he loses. And he doesn't lose in a manner like it's a tough, exciting back and forth fight. He gets smoked. He gets blown out of the cage. So that's 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 the biggest thing. They want Ward. Ward has the personality and the kind of vibe and the image that sells. He's he, he's a local celebrity in his area. He can get fans behind him because he knows how to talk. He knows how to carry himself. He knows how to play to the crowd. But what he doesn't know how to do is consistently win, especially when it's big fights. And every time he's had the fight that's going to push him over the edge, he's lost it. Because you know Bellator wants him to be a named guy, but he's never been able to put it together long enough to become that guy. 
Yeah, man. That's, I mean, that's totally true there, too. You know, I, I expected him to kind of become that guy at some point in time, but because it's those big knockouts that makes him so attractive to um, as a mainstream option, but he just hasn't been able to get the job done. And someone else who hasn't been able to get the job done at times is Marlos Conan. Um, she's a long-standing face in women's mixed martial arts, but she's never become the big star or a star that's comparable to like a Misha Tate or Ronda Rousey or even a Cyborg. So um, let's talk about her. You know, she's someone who, who I've always thought could become one of those, not a major crossover star, but just more of an attention grabber. You know, unfortunately, when we talk about mixed martial arts, we always have to talk about if a woman's attractive or not, because that's what these promotions push to the forefront, especially those where they're basically blatant with it. And, you know, she's not a, she's not an unattractive woman at all. She's very skilled in this sport, 23-7, and seven, and she's been fighting since, what, 2000, almost 16 years of experience. So looking back at someone who's been around for so long, has so many quality wins, what is it about um, Conan that just hasn't allowed her to break into that um, – to that mainstream market. Both of them were very experienced, very skilled, very athletically talented fighters. But the thing about it is they hit their peak or, or they had the majority of their fight before women's MMA kind of burst into the national scene. You know, Coonan's uh, biggest turn was with Strikeforce but that was right before Rousey became the force that she became in women's MMA and MMA in general. So she kind of hit her peak as a name and as a top contender prior prior to Rousey, before Rousey made it. And that's why a lot of the things she's accomplished and the, 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 the win she's had in her tenure hasn't been looked at upon as favorably as it had as other people who had just gotten onto the scene. Uh, much like Julie Kessie. Kessie was a longtime fighter, had given a lot of, had fought a lot of the best names, had given them hell in the fight she fought in, she fought in. But because MMA started peaking towards the end of her career, she never got a chance to get the name she would have gotten had she come around maybe three or four years later. Because she had a, she has a look, she knows how to talk, she's intelligent, she's very skilled, she's always in the fight, she comes from a successful camp. All the makings of, if not a superstar, at least a star in the women's division or MMA as a whole. And the same thing applies to Coonan. Um, the the biggest thing that hurts Coonan, other than her coming onto her peak as MMA, women's MMA was beginning to get big, is the fact that she's lost a Cyborg twice. And she's lost in a dominating fashion. Um, Cyborg is the best girl in her weight class. And though she was able to go rounds with her, she wasn't able to consistently put any offense, any successful offense together. She wasn't able to hurt her. She wasn't really able to take her down. She wasn't really able to defend or counter anything that Cyborg did. She basically was able to just last and make do the fight and make it hard for her in the instance that she couldn't get the finish or she couldn't dominate completely the way she wanted. So the two biggest marks against her are that A, her career is coming to an end. I mean, she's on the decline as women's MMA is getting bigger and bigger. And B, the, the chance she had to fight a superstar in women's MMA, she lost. She lost in a decisive manner twice to Cyborg, and she lost in a decisive manner to Misha Tate. 
So the other biggest stars outside of Rousey have both beaten her. And then the last loss she had, even though the woman, the woman she fought didn't make weight, she lost to a girl who doesn't have a name, who doesn't have any sort of Q rating with the media or with the fans. So it's been a series of bad timing and a series of instances where she hasn't been able to maximize the opportunity she's had. And as a result, she hasn't gotten the acclaim or the notice that she would, would have otherwise. And that doesn't just go for her. That goes for other fighters like Roxanne Matafari, um, uh, Shayna Baszler, another fighter who's had a glorious career, who has all the technical skills and at least at least on the ground and has the personality and charisma where she could carry a division. She could be a key factor in a division, but was at a point where she was no longer able to compete with the best of the best. So even though she had a personality, she had an angle she could sell, she couldn't win enough fights to become any anything anything somebody could anything somebody could consider bankable or marketable because she just couldn't fight well enough at this stage to become an asset or to get pushed or be considered a face in a division. And that's the same problem that's happened with Kunin. She still got the striking skills, but her her timing and her punch resistance, in my opinion, isn't what it used to be. Because at one point, she was probably one of the better strikers in women's MMA. And secondly, she's never been a particularly physically strong or athletically dynamic fighter. I've seen 35 girls rough her up, Liz Carmouche, basically manhandle her until, until her lack of skill got her finished by, by Kunin. But for three rounds, she ragdolled Kunin. She pinned her, she threw her down, she chipped away, she roughed her up. She uh, just did whatever she wanted to her on the ground with just with no experience and just physical strength, conditioning, and physicality. And Misha Tate got lit up by Kunin in the first round, then got her hands on her, put her on her back, and finished her. And Cyborg never had to take her to the ground. She just bodied her up, pushed her into the cage, hit her with right, left, knees, uppercuts, and elbows, and just manhandled her. So it's a combination of her declining physical skills and the fact that she's never been a, a fighter who's been able to grind on people and, phys and get it into physical exchanges and win them. It's always been a matter of superior skill, superior experience, and superior athleticism. And she no longer, she doesn't have that advantage over anybody anymore. The skills have all increased across the board and her physical skills are declining. You know, that's definitely some interesting breakdown there, especially the comparison in pointing out how she's fared a similar career tracks, like a Shayna Baszler, for example, you know, she's someone that definitely was a star, tough, tough, tough out in women's MMA, but it just happened too soon before this, the women's division got really big. You know, she could easily had she easily had the personality to be a star, and even a crossover star with professional wrestling as well too, because you know she has that big attraction there. Shayna Baszler could have been huge, and unfortunately, she came too early in the sport. Same thing with, with Conan. And Conan doesn't have those big career-defining wins. Yeah, she went seven rounds, like you pointed out. She went seven rounds with Cyborg, but she it went set, it was seven rounds of taking a whooping instead of it being seven competitive rounds. Like, if she would have been someone who went back and forth, had a lot of competitive fights with Cyborg, like, let's say even if they were one and one, UFC would have clearly made that fight a long time ago and gotten her and Cyborg in, in a cage and not against each other. But there really isn't any appeal there 
other than the fact that she's gone the longest with Cyborg at this point in, in her career. So yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you that she's someone who could have been a star had she not come around as soon as she did for women's MMA. Let, let me let me I, I, I am a, a Marlos Kuna fan. My mom actually is a huge fan because one of the first MMA fights she saw was Marlos Kunin versus uh, Liz Carmouche. And my mom just sat there like, I can't believe she's going to lose. This girl's just beating her up. And when she pulled out the submission, my mom was like up on her feet screaming like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. This She pulled this out. Like, how does she do it? Explain it to me. Like, watch it again. She was just talking about it for weeks on end. So, you know, um, I have fond memories of Marlos Kunin. And side note, I'm also a big Julie Ketsy fan. So in case she hears this, I was not dissing you, Julie. You were a great fighter, and I thought you would have been a face of MMA if you would have came around a little bit later. So I just wanted to clarify those two facts. I'm not hating on anybody. I'm just calling it straight. Yeah, Kenzie is definitely one of the, um, is, is definitely someone else who fits into that same realm. Well, she would have been a star had she not come around as early, too. Let's talk about someone else who had the potential of being a star in mixed martial arts. And Paul Daly. Man, Paul Daly, had, had, he had it all. He had the look. He had the knockout power. He had he was put on the fast track in um, in the UFC. He had all all those opportunities, um, but he just consistently fell short of being that star. You know, he's fighting Friday night as well too. He's fighting Derek Anderson, which is another opportunity for him to get another highlight reel knockout. But career wise, what are your thoughts on Paul Daly? Uh, Daly is a guy who never lived up to the hype. I mean, as a striker, he had some incredibly dynamic KOs. The Scott Smith knockout in uh, Strike Force. I mean, he just iced him. That dude fell flat. I thought he was dead. The fight with Nick Diaz was an amazing back and forth fight. You know, you know, high volume, a lot of contact, a lot of power shots. It was incredible. But the thing about Daly is he's always had this one specific hole, which has been his grappling, his wrestling, and he's never done enough to even get it to a level where he could get back to the feet and bring his striking to bear against top level guys. He's basically gotten by on the fact that he's got some average to, but he has a high level of athleticism that getting lesser athletes allows him to get back to his feet, allows him to defend takedowns with just explosiveness and uh, strength and uh, power. And then, you know, him being such a fearsome striker, a lot of guys are afraid to get in, into range because as a grappler, as you, you know, as you know, being a grappler yourself, you can't just shoot from far out. You've actually got to set up the takedown. You've got to get into a range where you can get that clinch or you can take that shot and have a chance of it working. And when you get in that range, you open yourself up for knees, for kicks to the leg, for uppercuts, for shots to the body. And a lot of guys get hesitant with their takedowns because they're afraid of, they know that Paul Daly has fight ending power and they don't want to risk getting countered or missing a takedown and having him tee off on them. But he's leaned on that and he's leaned on his athleticism to bolster his grappling and his grappling has never gotten good enough to where it's never gotten to the point where he, it should have been because his grappling was better and his awareness on the ground was better and he really worked on it he could get back to the feet and he could win fights. He could knock guys out or he could be more active on the feet because he's not afraid of being taken down. He's not afraid of getting controlled. He's not afraid of getting finished, but he knows that his grappling is not up to snuff. 
So when he faces a guy with similar athleticism or top-in grappling skills, his whole style changes. He isn't as free with his strikes. He won't, th he won't throw as many. He won't throw as hard. He's a little bit hesitant as far as getting into the pocket or closing range. He won't pressure a guy because he knows if I put that one, two, three, four, five punch combination and that guy either counters or he runs through him and he gets his hands on me, he can get me down. He'll outposition me and he'll finish me easily because it's happened to him time and time again. So he's a guy who had a lot of potential, had a lot of hype, but never developed the skills and the awareness necessary to live up to that. You know, he, he has all the ability to world, but he had no concept of how to use it in this sport. So he could show consistent results in the effectiveness of his striking. So let me ask you this, you know, we're looking at this Bellator 163 card and I want to know, do you think Bellator has the stars to become a prominent MMA promotion? Like, yeah, they've been around for years. I remember when I was still at ESPN and they first got launched and they were only on ESPN Deportes. So they've grown. They've come a long way. But do they have that opportunity to become a rival, quote unquote, to the UFC, especially at this time where issues within the UFC is kind of creating the opportunity for that door to be open. And I said this a couple weeks ago, the problem isn't getting stars. They have people with star potential. They have people with star talent. The problem is they don't have enough middle of the road, third and second tier guys to have these guys fight against for them to build a name. Part of building a name and building a brand isn't just fighting the best guys. At some point it's fighting the best guys but you have to work your way up. That's how people get familiar with you. Conor McGregor wasn't always fighting top-ranked guys. He fought a young Max Holloway. He fought he fought other people. He fought two or three guys who were, you know, top maybe 15 or 16 guys. And then he worked his way up to the top 10. By putting wins together, he got fans to get familiar with his style. They gave him more opportunities to interview. They gave him more opportunities to do countdowns on him. And, and that helped expand his fan base. That helped keep his face out there for him to get the opportunities to fight the top guys. In organizations like Bellator and even the World Series of Fighting, they don't have an, enough mid-tier talent to keep their guys busy and help develop that fan base and help sharpen their skills and help get their timing down and help them progress. Like we talked about last, last week with Max Holloway, Max Holloway faced certain guys who tested different areas, conditioning, grappling, striking, transitioning between grappling, wrestling, and striking, guys who had experience, guys who were who would just attack, 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 guys who would defend, 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 guys who would just counter, tough guys, fast guys, skilled guys. And, and fighting all those fights kept him in front of the public eye to get some sort of, uh, to get the fan base behind him to where people are saying, this guy deserves a title shot. And it also helped him develop as a fighter. Bellator doesn't have an in-between ground. You're either fighting their very best or you're fighting guys who, who don't belong in the cage with you. And the best example of that is with um, Michael Venom Page. He's either fighting guys who are faded or he's fighting guys who don't have anything to offer him. So it, it just becomes a bunch of highlight real fights that don't draw in attention. Yeah, it's cool to see a dynamic spinning knockout, but once you realize he's facing guys who can't stop it, it, it becomes less impressive. But they don't have anybody to help build and develop him again. When By the time they move him up, it's 
it's going to be a guy against a guy who can who can beat him and who can beat him decisively. So there's no middle ground. There's no way to develop guys. There's no way to keep guys busy, keep them in the public eye while getting them the skill, experience, and um, rent and cage time necessary to become the best. That's the difference the UFC has. The UFC has a lot of guys who aren't the best but are good and can help other guys develop and keep them busy and give you opportunities to get that cage time and get that face time because of interviews and countdowns and post-conference, post post-fight conference and pre-fight conferences. That's what that allows you. So Bellator actually needs to round out their divisions and fill them out where it's not just five guys and a bunch of a bunch of dudes who can't compete with them. That's some great um breakdown right there. And I totally agree with you there. You know, the UFC does have those guys like a Jeremy Stevens or Charles Oliveira, the guys like a um like like the middle middle of the pack guys like a um, Alexis Davis, you know, just names like that that jump out where they're not there's someone who could make a run for a title, but they're not necessarily title contenders. And I hate to use the term gatekeepers, but that's kind of the way that they may look be looked upon. So yeah, Bellator doesn't have that, and it'd be interesting to see what they do with somebody like a Michael Vitter Page gatekeepers and journeymen i know a lot of people think of that as an insult and as a fighter if you're wanting to be the best it is an insult to you but that's guys like that are needed to help people get to the next level if all you have is top prospects and guys who are no good the quality of the participants in your sport is going to lessen it's the same thing as a, a, a football team where you have a backup quarterback you have an experienced backup quarterback you know why he's good for the super talented rookie? Yeah, he can't compete on that level anymore, but he's going to help him get better. He's going to teach him how to be a pro. He's going to test him mentally and call him out because he's like, hey, I've done this. I've been in this league for 12 years. I can call you out. I can hold you to the fire and, and make you have to look at things from a different perspective. And it's the same thing in boxing or MMA. You need guys who can do that. And the only way you can call a young fighter out or, or point out the holes without totally derailing him is by having guys who are good, not great, who have some athletic talent, but not dynamic athletic talent, who can test them in different areas and help him slowly move up and get experience and get more of a fan base because they're testing him in areas. So a fan can be like, hey, you know, Michael Venom Page fought this guy. This guy really tested him on the ground. He really showed growth on the ground. Or this guy was a really good boxer and he get he got in on, side, in, on the inside and Michael Venom Page had to show improved boxing and defense on the inside, or we had to show a clinch game. Like think about Wonderboy Thompson. Wonderboy Thompson has a similar background to Michael Venom Page, but Wonderboy Thompson has been able to be brought along facing an ascending level of difficulty and fighter that helps him address each and every area he was in, he was weak in. He used to not have a good boxing range, now he does. His grappling used to be suspect, now it's better. His wrestling used to be suspect, now it's better. Yeah, he worked on it in camp, but you don't really have the confidence and development until you have to test it out in a dynamic live situation, AKA a fight. And as a person who's competed and helped train people, you know that for a fact, you have to face a certain level of guy to prepare you. So when you face the best, you've already answered certain questions. I know that I can grapple. I know I can go three rounds. I know I can go five rounds. I know I can boss a little bit. I know I can wrestle a little bit. I've been against guys who could do this and I've held my own and that develops the confidence as well as the skills so that you can compete when you face a guy who's a top-end wrestler or just a top-end fighter. 
you you know this because you've had to put people through their paces and prepare them for this sort of thing. Yeah, man, that's totally some um, some very key and very logical breakdowns when you're talking about the professional progression of a mixed martial artist. As we speak of such, let's turn our focus to UFC Fight Night 98, which is Saturday, and it features an opportunity, a big opportunity, I believe, for two guys, um, one being Tony Ferguson and the other being Charles Oliveira. Um, there are a lot of fights. There's 13 fights on this card, but none that really kind of jump out to me. None that I really want to really focus on, except for this main event and the Charles Oliveira fight. So let's start with the main event here. Um, I'm looking at Tony Ferguson, and I'm looking at this being a huge opportunity for him here. Um, I think he's a guy that no one wants to fight. You know, um, you don't see Conor McGregor calling out Tony Ferguson. You don't. And I really think that he's the man that at lightweight, no one wants to fight because he almost has an answer for everything. He's great on his feet. He's willing to take risks on, on the ground. I wrote a piece about him on um, MMA ratings this week. Just looking at how, you know, this is a big opportunity for him because if he can if he can defeat RDA, especially if he finishes him and makes it look, look a spectacular, that division is his. Not, I'm not going to say his for taking, but the next fight is definitely going to be his to um, begin calling somebody out. So let's talk about, first let's talk about this matchup, and then let's talk about Tony Ferguson as a prospect within the lightweight group. First of all, Tony, Tony Ferguson doesn't need, need an excuse to call people out. Have you seen this guy's interview? He can't go two seconds without challenging the manhood of every guy in the division, whether it's Khabib, Connor. Eddie Alvarez, anybody who's got any sort of name or might be considered on his level, he's calling them out and he's challenging them and he's insulting their skills. So he doesn't need an excuse. He's been doing that for the last two or three years consistently. I, I like him as a fighter, but that's been something that's really annoyed me about him. I don't know why it didn't, but... No, I totally, agree on, I totally agree on that. Like, like it's almost comical how intense he is, even when he's calling people out. It's almost like socially awkward how intense he is as he's doing it what i was saying yeah. is that when i say what i'm saying is that he's the one guy who i'm you know, not the one guy but he's one of the few men whose name has not come out of conor mcgregor's mouth at this point in time and maybe it's because he doesn't have a, a big cachet name value wise but yo that is a dangerous fighter for anyone to take and i and since mcgregor's been talking about moving up to 55 and taking the lightweight title i've always said yo i want to see him fight tony ferguson and see what happens my my thing is this and and tony ferguson he he's a very good fighter but a lot what a lot a lot of what i think about tony ferguson is this he's not he's not great in any particular area maybe grappling might be the area that he, he excels in but He's a guy who I think his biggest strength is is the transition. He can wrestle. He's a pretty good wrestler, but he's not, like I said, he's not one of those, he gets his hands on you, you're immediately going down. And he, he can just, you can't hold him down. He'll hold you down. You can't take him down. He's not that type of wrestler. He's not elite. And striking, a lot of his success is because of his volume and his length and his aggression. He's not afraid to walk through fire to get to you. A lot of guys say they're not afraid of walking through fire, but the minute they feel that heat, they start running out of the kitchen. He's not afraid to. He throws a lot of volume, and and this has been verified by verified to me through my own experiences at MMA gyms. 
and the experiences of guys I've kind of helped prepare before they go visit different gyms, the, the defense in MMA as far as punches and defense in general is awful. The footwork, the positioning, moving backwards, moving off the center line, pivoting and angles, it's awful. So a guy like Tony Ferguson can just push forward, throw a lot of volume, throw a lot of variation and strikes. He's going to push guys into the fence. He's going to beat they, where they can't, they don't know how to get, get off. They don't know how to tie out and tie them up and spin them and then counter. They don't know how to pivot off the fence. They don't know how to take an angle so that he'll run right past them because a couple guys have done that where they'll take a slight angle. They'll get off the center line and Ferguson will run his ass right into the fence where a guy could go for a takedown or land shots on him. But it's not consistent because most MMA's fighters footwork breaks down under pressure and Ferguson sets a high pace and forces you to keep up with it. But I don't think Ferguson is great as any area. If you can stick him in one area, if you can force him to stand up, you'll put it on Ferguson because his defense isn't very good. He just puts guys on the defensive with his pressure and his length. He's almost like an Antonio Margarito in boxing. He's big, he's tough, he's long, and he throws a lot of punches. His defense isn't there, but he's got a good chance. He re recovers quickly, but his defense is limited at best. I saw that uh, Venata Lando come in and put all sorts of hands on Ferguson. He was putting all sorts of hands on him. Ferguson couldn't lay a hand on him. He's missing punches, missing kicks. He's getting countered with lead rights, hooks, jabs, one-twos, and there was nothing he could do about it. And his initial, his initial response wasn't even to get on his jab and start picking the guy apart. His initial response was just to use volume and use pressure and try to run this guy over. And he couldn't do it because the guy's pivoting and his, his positioning and his footwork was too good. So I, I'm not a person who thinks that Ferguson is untouchable on the feet. And he's not untouchable on the ground either. It's his transition. He can switch from every area, one area to another to another seamlessly. And he'll put himself in bad positions to switch to other areas, which, which is another thing most guys don't have. He has that much confidence in his ability. But he's not untouchable in any one area. I've seen guys hold him down and control him. I've seen guys defend his shots. I've seen guys take him down. I've seen guys out grapple him. I've seen guys beat him up on the feet but he can transition from outside to clinch, from clinch to tie up, from tie up to take down, to take down to chain submission grappling. And he does it seamlessly. And that's the biggest danger about him, that and the pace he keeps. But I think technically so he has a lot of holes that can be exploited. So let me ask you this real quick, you know, that the last fight he had, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but his last bout, you know, that was, do you chalk that up to his lack of, lack of clear-cut ability, as you just said, or is that taking a dangerous fight on, I think it was like a week's notice, two weeks' notice, because he's fought some guys who are strong in various, like Josh Thompson, for example. He definitely picked Josh Thompson apart. Edson Barbosa, great striker, picked him apart. Gleason Tebow, great grappler, picked him apart. Abel, Abel Trujillo, another great striker. Picked, I mean, not a great striker, but someone who can put you on a stretcher if need be. He picked him apart as well, too. So he's fought guys who are able to isolate you in specific skill sets. Now, I think back to someone like a Michael Johnson, who is a very well-rounded fighter and who was able to dominate um, Ferguson in a way to get that win. But even if that fight took – if that rematch occurred now, I would be interested in seeing how well it went. So – I don't know if I'm going to totally agree with you in, in saying that Ferguson isn't someone who is dangerous in one specific area. I think he's grown in a way. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not saying he's not dangerous. People act like, 
Well, Ferguson's amazing on the feet. No, he's not. He's very durable, and he recovers very quickly. It's not like he's just he's just piecing these guys up, and he's not getting touched. It's not like GSP versus Koscheck, where he just used his jab, and he busts the guy up, and the guy couldn't touch him. It's not like Machida in and out, landing 40 strikes, and his opponent landing like two, and they're not even clean. He's a guy who gets hit a lot. He fought Barboza. Barboza cut him up with elbows. Barboza was lighting him up to the body. The thing is, he could take the shots better than Barboza. And Barboza, when you put pressure on him, his footwork collapsed. When he fought Lon- when he fought Lando, he tried to do the same thing he always does initially. Come out, use his length, put leather on guys, get, get him on the back foot, and run him over. The difference is Lando started pivoting from his strikes and then countering. He started picking him off and disrupting instead of let, letting you – Ferguson's like a chainsaw. It's not dangerous unless you let it get started. A chainsaw that hasn't gotten started isn't a threat. Ferguson is a danger once you let him start going downhill. You start popping him in between those first two shots, he he hesitates. He stops. He has to get going. He has to build up that momentum. Once momentum's going, he's hard to stop. You interrupt his momentum, he's not hard to stop. And and people can tell me it was a short-term fight. He didn't know what to expect. Are you telling me a professional fighter is is going to use that excuse because the fact of the matter is if he just fought a smart fight that wouldn't happen he was walking into power shots the same way round Rousey was walking into power shots he tried to overwhelm the guy with physicality and volume and length and when the guy moved his feet and pivoted and countered and started punching with him instead of letting waiting until he was done and then firing he started getting caught all he had to do was come out there and use a basic jab and use his length and chop away with kicks Stick the jab, jab to the head, jab to the chest, throw the long right hand, and attack his attacking with kicks, and get inside and then submit him. It's the same thing he did later in the fight, but because he underestimated his opponent, he was walking into shots blind. He was getting knocked around. He was getting picked apart. That's just bad IQ. That's bad IQ and arrogance. Thinking I can do whatever I want to any opponent. Josh Thompson's a very good striker, but Josh Thompson doesn't have that kind of footwork. Josh Thompson doesn't have those kind of hands. Same thing with Edson Barboza. He's great when he can control you with the threat of his power and his dynamic offensive abilities, put pressure on Edson Barboza. Every time it happens, he starts getting hit more and more because his defense, his footwork, his defensive footwork is not as good as advertised. If you don't respect his power and you don't give him the room to operate, he's not nearly as defensively sound or offensively effective as he likes to make himself out to be. And that's been proven time and time again. I'm not saying he's not dangerous. I'm saying that he can be got in any one of the positions his advantage is he can switch from position to position seamlessly, and he has so much faith in his skills in certain positions that he's going to put himself in a bad spot because he feels he can work he can work his way out of it. He'll through the, he'll try a roll to get away because he feel because guys give him that respect. They won't stay on him. They're afraid that Ferguson's going to get his hands on him and start beating him up with elbows and knees. They're afraid he'll get on he'll take him down and get on top of him. They're afraid he'll get on top of him and get a transition. Or the lockup with him get in transition. They give him the space to do these things because they fear certain aspects of his game. I don't think RDA fears those aspects of the game. I think he can put a solid applied pressure, deliberate pressure on him and walk him down. If his if his chin is indented and if switching camps hasn't totally screwed up his head. But if he uses deliberate pressure and walks him down and forces him to stay in certain positions, I believe he can beat him. The biggest advantage Ferguson has is he forces you to fight at the range he wants and he forces you to fight at the pace he wants. If you can control the pace because you have good footwork and defensive awareness, then he starts getting beat up. If you can control the pace because you're a better wrestler or you can match his physicality 
he'll start taking some. But the fact is most guys aren't very physical and most guys defensively, as I've said multiple times, even the great strikers, you're gonna, people are going to say, I'm being a jerk for saying it. Ask Dom McCruz. He'll tell you the same thing. Most MMA's fighters' defense is terrible. Ask a lot of guys. They'll say the same thing. Ask Machida. Ask Wonderboy Thompson. He'll tell you. Ask most, ask most trainers who have any, any sort of a boxing background. Ask Mark Henry. He'll tell you. Most fighters, their footwork, their hand positioning, their body positioning is terrible. And that's why they get beat up and pushed around and knocked around on the feet. Ferguson's no different. It's just he can take it and he's willing to walk through abuse to put his hands on you and put abuse on you and he can transition from position to from one area to another and he'll take whatever chance he needs to take to transition from one area to another most guys are afraid to put themselves in bad spots they don't have enough confidence in their ability to counter or to escape ferguson has complete confidence in his ability to do so because all his camps are focused on him and focused on the, the specific positions he's going to put himself into how to get out of them how to defend from them how to counter for them, how to attack from them, how to transition to another position. That's his advantage. But it's not in any one area that he's particularly, he's untouchable. Dangerous, yes. Untouchable, no. You can get to him as, as much as he can get to you. And that's been proven, in my opinion, it's been proven time and time again. Okay, so let's talk about this main event then, man. Um, it's a pretty, pretty important fight for both men. Um, in a sense, pretty important fight for both men. How do you see this bout between uh, Ferguson and RDA going? If, if RDA wants to win, he needs to slow the fight down. He needs to get his hands onto Ferguson, and he needs to chop away the body, and he needs to force Ferguson to stay in, in a certain range. If he gets a takedown, he needs to slow the pace down and not give in to transitions not allowed to get into scrambles. He needs to pin him up against the cage and just chip away at him. Chip away at him, chip away at him, beat him up, pull him down, work him over, and control him. If he if he's on the feet, he needs to let – when Ferguson starts being super aggressive and trying to explode on him, he needs to trap him on the cage and start getting clinches, work the body, chop away at him, and, and maintain deliberate pressure on him. He can't allow Ferguson – he can't allow Ferguson to dictate pace to him and dictate how the fight's going to go, what speed the fight's going to go, and where the fight's going to take place at. He needs to do things to disrupt that. I suggest attacking, defending, and countering to the body. Ferguson's a big, long, lean kind of guy. I don't think he takes body shots that well. Not real punishing body shots. Everything Ferguson throws, you can't allow him to put four or five punches together and then fire back. You've got to punch with him. He lands a body kick, you fire right back. He lands a punch, you fire right back. He's throwing a punch, you're throwing a punch with him. You're exchanging with him. You're not letting him punch you, punch you, punch you, and then you fire back. That doesn't work. It never works. For Ferguson, he needs to do what he always does, force a pace. Make a guy get out of his comfort zone, have to work harder and faster than he's used to working so you can extend him, wear him out, and then late in the fight, that's when you start pulling away. That's when you start putting damage on him and you start you catch him in these transitions because they're tired. They're tired. They can't. They, they can't think clearly. They can't react as fast. That would be my best route to victory for him. And if he was really going to impress me or if he was really going to show that, that he's become elite, use his length. Use that length. Use footwork. Pick RDA, par, pick RDA, RDA off from a distance. Use that jab. Use long weapons on him. It's worked before. The thing is, 
RDA is a physical tough guy who will walk through abuse to get to you and put his hands on you, put his body on you, control you, break you down and wear you, wear you down and then break you down. So you got to have the footwork, which I don't think Ferguson has. But if he really wanted to show another, another level to his game, he really wanted to show he's the boogeyman of the 55 division. Show Don't just use physicality in transitions. Show deliberate, focused, technical, clean, defensively sound fighting and break a guy down. Make it outclass him. Don't make it exciting for us, fans. Make it boring by outclassing the guy, outclassing him in every phase you can out you can outclass him and defend the takedown, reverse him, get out of his submissions, pick him apart on the feet. That's what it really takes for him to be an elite guy, for him to put his stamp on there. If it's a back and forth fight with him having the same holes, making the same mistakes he always makes, that's not gonna prove anything to me. And it's definitely not gonna make a point to anybody else. All right, man. So who you got in this main event? You know, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna go out on a limb, and I because I think it's Tony Ferguson's time, honestly. And I'm just gonna be honest. I'm gonna pick Ferguson to win this bout um, by a decision. Uh, what about you? I was. I, I really want to go at RDA, but I'm always. I get real paranoid when I hear a guy who has one loss, and then all of a sudden he starts saying, "Well, it just it wasn't working anymore. It's it was the team wasn't working. I needed to do my own thing." It's like they don't give any respect to their opponent or the or the skills and physical abilities their opponent has. They just assume that they made a mistake or something no longer worked or they didn't have the right game plan. And sometimes it's not. It's not so much that. It's the, limita the limitations to your game and, and the strength that got, your opponent has in his game that allow him to win. So I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to stick with RDA because I don't like the flip flop. But I'm. I'm really not comfortable with this change in coaching and I don't know who's cornering him and I don't know what kind of effect that's going to have on a guy and just before I finish before RDA really started working with Rafael Cordero at Kings he was a journeyman he had a lot of physical talent he had skills on the ground but he never was consistent he couldn't put wins together he couldn't win the big fights and every time he lost he lost in a in a decisive and sometimes embarrassing manner what, what him and Cordero had allowed him to get past all his mental blocks, develop as a striker, and take the next step forward as a fighter. If he's not working with that guy anymore, that guy's not in his corner, I don't know which Rafael Dos Anjos I'm going to see. I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to see the guy who got finished by Clay Guida, the guy who got knocked out by Jeremy Stevens, Anthony Pettis, and the guy who eviscerated Donald Cerrone. I have no idea. I want to say RDA, but this big camp change concerns me. But I'm going to stick with the guy who I, who I picked. I already told you what I think he needs to do to win the fight. And if he does that, I still believe he's going to win the fight. But not knowing who's in the corner, I have no idea what he's going to do when it gets tough. I have no idea how he's going to react. That and the fact that he lost his next fight by knockout are my two question marks. You know, can he recover from the knockout? He's done it before. So that's possible. But can he recover from not having that source of security in his corner? That guy who had that great connection and brought the very best out of him. I don't know if he's going to go back to that RDA or he's going to go back to the guy who couldn't put two wins together when he was about to be cut from the UFC a couple years ago. Yeah, man, I can, um, it, it, it's interesting, you know, because um, it's definitely interesting because I've had the same questions about um, RDA as well, too, you know, and looking at this fight, I 
immediately picked Ferguson just like I said before. I think it's it's his time, and I find it interesting because you know you there's that um there's that piece that I believe it was Conor McGregor was talking about how um he thinks that he thinks that uh, RDA's time is coming gone, and we may be about to find out come Saturday. Uh, he's well, I believe that would have fought RDA. He would have knocked him out when they first fought. Everybody told me RDA was going to beat him. I, I didn't really believe that. I thought I thought McGregor would have stopped uh, Dos Anjos within two rounds at the most. I, I I really believe he's he might be on a decline. But I thought he had, I think he has enough experience and physical ability to still compete with the best, especially with a guy who's known for, whose style, whose style creates openings for his opponent, especially if the opponent has a certain amount of physicality and offensive and, a, and is tough-minded and offensive-minded. I feel that it's a good matchup that allows RDA an opportunity to win. That being said, I, I do believe he's on the decline and this change in corners or camps does not make me feel any better about this pick. It, it really doesn't. This isn't like a, a Schwan Locke pick. This is a, I want to stick with this guy, stick with this guy, and I believe in this guy. But um, given these changes he's making, I, I'm not feeling really great about this. You know, if I get it right, I'm still going to be bragging online. But if I get it wrong, I'm going to be like, yeah, remember, I warned y'all about this. <laughs> I'm going to be flip-flopping like crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Excuse me. I, 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 that that change in camps is definitely important because it never seems to work well for people when they make that change and they're like, oh, "I'm gonna go do my own thing." So that is something. Ask, that's ask, ask Travis Brown. Ask Travis Brown. He left Jackson. What happened to him? Ask Melvin Gillard. He went to Black Billions. What happened to him? Melvin Gillard is a workman. And then you have like you, you can go back even further. We have guys like um, Josh Koshtek when he left AKA. Uh, and that didn't go well for him. I think John Fitch, after he left AK, like, it's, like there's a there, there's definitely a, a trend there where it seems to not work well with guys when they go break off and attempt to do their own thing. So there's one other fight I want to talk about from Saturday's card, and it's Charles Do Bronx and Ricardo Lamas. Um, this is a featherweight fight featuring former um, title contender and Lamas, and then you have uh Do Bronx, who is someone who a lot of people had a lot of hype around. You know, this guy's still young. He's only 27. Um, talk to me about this fight here and what it means for both men. Well, first of all, I have to say this. It's terribly irresponsible for Oliveira's team and his coaches to let him take this fight. I, I don't understand their logic. They haven't prepared mm -hmm. they haven't prepared him as far as his technical skills or which guy? Which guy? For Oliveira, offensive fighter. He's a guy whose whole his whole whole danger is that he puts a lot of volume out there. He has a lot of activity. He has a lot of physical ability as far as body control, explosiveness. He's very creative offensively. But the fact of the matter is, he doesn't take abuse very well. I'm not saying he's soft. I'm not saying he's weak. I'm just saying he doesn't take shots very well. You hit him with certain shot shots. You hit another fighter with. It might put him on his butt. It might knock him out. And he has no defense for a guy with his sort of length and his sort of speed and his athleticism. He should be a lot harder to hit than he is. But he gets hit by literally every single fighter he fights, win or lose. If the guy has any sort of competency, he puts hands on him. He gets takedowns on him. He pushes him into a cage. He's the kind of guy who just can't get away, get away from any sort of competent offense. And he never has. And as good as his, his offense has been, a lot of it is attribute-based, meaning 
It depends on his length. It depends on his athleticism. His his striking at range is pretty terrible for a guy with his sort of length and his sort of ability. It's almost Stefan Struve bad. Like Stefan Struve should be a great defensive fighter and a and a very efficient offensive fighter on the feet. He's neither of those things. He constantly gives up his height and his physical advantages to get in these ridiculous brawls. And Charles Oliveira is the same way. And he just takes beating after beating and he gets finished time and time again. And that's why I think this is a really bad fight for him because Ricardo Lamas is a guy who's no good at leading. He can't lead. He can't create openings. He doesn't know how to create openings. He doesn't know how to make you make a mistake. His whole shtick is he's going to be in a fight with you. You're going to throw something sloppy or you're going to stand in front of him or you're going to take a bad shot or you're going to telegraph a shot. You're going to make some kind of mistake and then he's going to take advantage of that mistake and then he's going to compound that mistake and take over and either beat you up on the ground or finish you or you're going to stand in front of him he's going to chop your legs up you're going to throw wide get too aggressive and he's going to walk you into a counter shot he's a pure counter fighter so he's so now he's facing a guy who's fragile physically who's all offense has no sort of nuance to his game as far as the entries exits or setups and just walks forward applying pressure that's a perfect matchup for a guy who likes to sit back and counter and a guy who's a superior wrestler and a guy who's a superior athlete and the more durable athlete. What better matchup could you have? Could Oliveira come out and explode on him, hit him with some big shots, take him down and finish him or knock him out? Sure. He could do that. He, he's, he's dangerous enough, but what most likely is to happen is he's going to come out. He's going to do something wild. He's going to get countered big and either knocked out, beat up and knocked out, or he's going to get taken down, beaten up, and knocked out. He just, Lamas is a good enough guy. He can defend submissions. He can control position. He's a very well-schooled fighter on the feet and on the ground. As far as his IQ in the cage, it's very high. His problem is he doesn't know how to lead. He doesn't know how to initiate offense. But if you're going to initiate, if you're going to take the first step forward, if you're going to throw the first punch or come out aggressively, he'll eat you up. And every guy he's beaten, he's beaten because he's been able to, to take advantage of mistakes they made. Every guy he's fought who's minimized mistakes, he's lost to. He lost to Chad Mendes off of one shot. He Mendes didn't make a mistake. Mendes saw an open and exploded in it. Mendes was efficient and accurate, finished him with his like first one or two shots. When he fought Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo's a counter guy. He's not going to give you anything to counter. He's not going to give you any easy takedowns. He's not going to let you get in the range to even take, take, attempt takedowns or put your hands on him or put combinations together. He's going to angle. He's going to pivot. He's going to turn you. He's going to tie you up. He's going to chop you up from distance. When you get inside, he's going to tie you up and start chopping you up from the inside. Then he's going to turn you, reset, and start all over. Aldo didn't give him anything, so Aldo chopped him up. But if you're going to come at him aggressively and you're going to try to finish or you're going to try to impose your will on him, um, Lamont is ready for that. He'll have a counter for it. And once you make a mistake, he's going to take over and he won't let you get control of the fight from that point on. But anybody who's able to minimize mistakes and anybody who's a better athlete, who's got some IQ and balance skills, those guys always expose them. Max Holloway did it. Max Holloway outclassed him. Jose Aldo outclassed him. And Mendes finished him. And what do those guys have in common? They're very dynamic athletes. They're very skilled. They're very technical and they have a high level of athleticism. They don't make a lot of mistakes. The only guys who've been able to expose those guys are, are the best guys. Jose Aldo got exposed by McGregor. Mendes got exposed by Aldo. Uh, Holloway really hasn't been exposed, period. But they're the guys who minimize mistakes. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They have very high IQs. Charles Oliveira does not have a very IQ. 
and he's not very tough and he likes to push a pace. And that's a bad recipe for a guy fighting Ricardo Lamas, in my opinion. He could finish him. I don't think he does. I think Lamas really beats him up because uh, if you remember, uh, Oliveira just got stopped a couple months ago for, by Anthony Pettis. So um, it's not like he's coming out of a fresh fight himself, you know? And he, I think he lost the fight before that too. So um, it doesn't, it's not really, in my opinion, it's not really a good idea for him to take this fight. It's not a good matchup. I don't think his team should have let him take this fight. And I think that his coaches have not, have done him a disservice by not fully developing all his skills so that he doesn't take these beatings and he doesn't get these lo- these key losses that keep, keep him from being a true contender. Sorry about that. I was talking and I was on mute. So I can definitely see see your points there when you're talking about Gil Ross. Um, I think that he's someone who's gone back and forth, uh, someone who hasn't broken through um, when he, he when he's had that opportunity. You know, um, he had that injury when he was fighting Max Holloway, which I thought was his first opportunity to really look great. He had that injury there. Um, he had some good he got, he had some good moments when he was fighting Anthony Pettis as well too before he got finished. And remember, he took a round off of Frankie Edgar as well. So he has had some great points in some of these fights that he's lost. But, um, yeah, I don't think he's quite turned the corner in, in such of a way as a, like a Max Holloway did when um, he came off that loss against McGregor. So I'll, I'll agree with you there. And I think that this fight Saturday is an opportunity. It's like really is that opportunity for him. If he gets that, if he gets a win against Lamas, then he should be seen as as probably a bigger threat at 45 than he is right now. If he loses, maybe maybe that's maybe that's I'm not gonna say that's it for him, but maybe he's someone like someone like us, Jeremy Stevens, who just doesn't get to that to that that elite elite position. So. The thing, yeah, the thing is, a- when, you got a, when you got a young fighter, you've got to develop him. And he's just been in tough fight after tough fight. Most of his losses have been pretty decisive and punishing losses. And when, you, when you're young, you're, young, you're as young as he is, but you've taken that much punishment, it starts putting a ceiling. Your physical skills start declining a little bit faster. And your mental willingness to do certain things or fight through certain spots actually lowers because you've taken so much abuse you've taken so much so many beatings your durability and he's not durable to begin with it starts lowering your athleticism starts lowering and your your willingness to learn new things and apply new things in a fight starts lower all because of its the attrition of the abuse that's been built up over the years and that's that's my concern with him even though he's a young guy he's fought a lot and he's been in some really tough fights and he's taken a lot of punishment in all of these fights He's not like some young guy who's got the whole future ahead of him. You don't take that many that much punishment in that many fights and think that you're just going to walk through and be fine. He's got to find a better way of fighting so that he's not getting all these extra miles put on him. And I don't I don't know that he has the team or the mental that perspective to do that at this stage in the game. It takes a special fighter to make those sort of adjustments. I don't know that he's a special fighter. I know he has special level of athletic ability. But I don't know that he's a special fighter, as in a guy who puts it all together. Yeah, man, I'm not gonna um, 
I'm not gonna argue you there, bro. You um you definitely got some got some good breakdown when looking at that fight. I mean I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm definitely excited. I'm not here in Vegas, but I'm gonna keep an eye out on both of those fights. So um that really kind of dives into everything I was looking forward to talking about this week. We have some other news stories and stuff, but you know, um, we're not gonna go dive too deeply into those conversation points. Um so let's let's look at um Let's look forward to the rest of the year. You know, I got some programming notes coming up. We'll be having a, uh, I guess, awards show at some point in time uh, between now and the end of the year. We're covering everything uh, from fighter of the year to event of the year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we can definitely talk about that coming up soon. And uh, um, yeah, we're, we're definitely doing well with the podcast overall. And I'm looking forward to some big updates, some big news in 2017. So with that being said, uh, Shawan, um, let everybody know what you're working on. And let's go ahead and close out the show today. Uh, first of all, real quick, I just wanted to, uh, to say something because somebody on Twitter asked me a question. They, and um, I wanted to re- remind people that you've actually competed in the sport. You've actually coached people in the sport and grappling and for fights. So that they say that so that when I go on these tirades or ramble, or I make these points or assessments or analysis. You're a person who's got enough experience firsthand and in coaching. But if I was saying something irresponsible or incorrect, you would call me on that. We have the re- enough respect for each other and you have enough knowledge that if you felt there was a point that you would challenge me on, that you would challenge me on it. You're not just letting me talk, let me talk. You're letting me talk because there's value in things I'm saying and the points I'm taking, not just to let the idiot ramble. And I just wanted to, to, to reply to this on the show because I've had a lot of people kind of question, like, why do you let you talk so much? Does he even know anything about the sport? And I'm like, he's very well versed in the sport. He's entrenched in the sport. He touches a lot of people who compete or have competed or coached in the sport. He's not just another guy who's doing a podcast because he likes MMA. He's a guy who's invested in it, his own time, his own experience, as have I. Not on your level, of course, but to a certain degree. So when I'm speaking, I'm speaking intelligently and I'm making valid points. And if I wasn't, the guy who's invested a lot of his time, money, blood, sweat, and tears into the sport will call me out on that because he knows that. And I just wanted to make sure I address that because I've had a lot of questions about you know, why I talk so much or why I make the points I make or why you allow me to make the points I make. So I just want to speak out from my perspective on it. I don't want to speak on your behalf. I'm just going off the stuff that we've talked about and um, our interaction on the show and our interaction, you know, outside of the show. Yeah, man, we're definitely, man, we're, we're, we know who we're talking about here. And I hate to say it like that, you know, but we definitely do. Um, that's basically all we, got, all, all we got to say about that. We know what we're talking about. We're not just two guys running off at the mouth for running off them off at the mouth's sake however you know we do know what we're talking about we may agree we have, we've agreed on a lot and we've disagreed on a lot as well too so like that's really like the whole basis here man people man, it's, this isn't an easy gig you know this isn't an easy job to be able to sit down and talk about the sport break it down in a way that is understandable clear and i'm not going to say 110 percent correct but you know very well versed in what we're talking about so yeah, I'm, I'm, that's all. That's all the attention I'm really going to give that. To be honest. Okay, now back to, back to this hand. You can always find me on Twitter. I like to live tweet a lot of the events. You want an outside perspective on what's happening, or maybe some behind the scenes information? Sometimes I got it for you. As far as the pieces I'm working on, I'm actually gonna. I've actually been working on a piece about 
cornering MMA coaching and about how much I feel that more coaches need to get outside assistance in preparing their fighters. Right now, I'm, I'm still in the process of working. I'm doing some interviews to try to kind of get some opposing points so I can look at it perspective, look at it from all different perspectives. But as I've said on the show a lot of times, it's hard to watch all the film when you have multiple fighters and you have multiple events you have to be to. Uh, even the best coaches in any other sport have assistants. They have outside people they trust who give them information and give them a different perspectives so they can get a different set of eyes and a different different point of view on things. I believe MMA is no different. And it's hard to cover if you have 10 fighters in your gym and everybody has more than 10, 15, 20, it's hard to get all the proper attention to every single guy on every single level and not be stretched thin. Even if you have a big team who's working around the clock, there's something that's going to be missed. And I believe there's a space for guys who do analyst work and who do research and who really understand the sport to contribute and not just help themselves, but help the fighters prolong their careers by, by having better game plans and possibly move forward in their careers by having game, better game plans and winning. So it's been something I've been working on for a while. Uh, I'm hoping to get it out probably in the next couple of weeks, but I've been working really hard on it. So hopefully I can get it done quickly and I can uh, see what people think. I'm looking forward to seeing it, man. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it when it, when it um, goes up. So I'm, um, you know, doing my same, doing doing the same gig, working, uh, MMA rating, fan sided, uh, Sports Illustrated. Uh, what else? Bloody elbow, all all the same stuff. So you can always catch me all over the place. You can catch me on Twitter at rgarcia underscore sports talking MMA, um, talking NFL, talking NBA. Um, that was the hell of a World Series game the other day, so I was talking about that as well. So yeah, be sure to always catch us. Follow um, MMARatings.net on, excuse me, MMARatings.net is the website. You can follow us at MMARatings.net on Twitter and Instagram, where we're ta always talking about the sport of uh, the world of combat sports. But just be sure to check us out, rate the fights, et cetera, et cetera. What you got to say? One more thing. Um, on Twitter, I have to use the hashtag, hashtag MMA rating, ratings. So if you ever want to look up some of my previous tweets on specific fighters, usually once a day, I'll give a perspective on a fighter, maybe an unpopular one or a different perspective on a certain fighter about something they could do technically or strategically or whole I see or anything I could think of pertaining to a fighter. You put in hashtag MMA ratings, you'll see probably like hundreds of tweets I've made on your favorite fighter and maybe some fighters you don't know very well. So if you ever want to backtrack and see some of the stuff I'm saying, hashtag MMA ratings, all lowercase, and you'll come up with all the stuff Shawan's tweeting about. Yeah, definitely be sure to go ahead and, and check them out there. All right, sir. Well, thank you for another great show. Thank you for letting me be a part of the movement. And uh, I hope you have some fun and relax. I hope you stop working for at least 48 hours. That's what, I'm going to need you to do that. Huh. One of these days, man. I'm out here on um, vacation now, so we'll see what happens. All right, man. Uh, stay away from the work. I mean, as soon as you start thinking about it, put the pen down, go to the pool, go hit a club. I don't care what you do. No work, no work. We're going to have problems. We're going to have problems, Raphael. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I promise. All right, man. You take it easy. Be safe out there. No problem, man. Have a great one. You too.